0: Hello, everyone. Hopefully you're having and or had a wonderful day today. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate it dearly. My name is Drew. I almost forgot to introduce myself there. My name is Drew, if you're new. And uh, yeah, welcome. Yesterday was Thanksgiving for those who are in the US and those who celebrated No, it was Thanksgiving this week as per the recording and publishing of this episode. And hopefully your Thanksgiving was good. Hopefully you ate some good food spend some time with family, or just relaxed and rested because of the extended weekend due to the holiday. In my mind, Thanksgiving definitely means we are in the swing of things when it comes to the holiday season, which for some can bring stress and anxiety, for others brings good memories, and for others is a bit more complicated and I feel for everyone going through difficult situations during the holiday season. I hope today's conversation actually can pick you up or just bring you some insight if you're in a good mood already. Um, Today's guest is Aria Mizuhara. She is a fantastic, fantastic creative slash artist born and raised from San Francisco all the way to Tokyo. She's kind of got this really, really cool eclectic background, which I can't wait for you guys to hear about. I actually met her about a year and a half ago when I was traveling to San Francisco with my girlfriend Lauren and I remember walking into her parents and her shop Cotton Sheep and the first thing I said to her was so give me the rundown of the history of the store like what is the store about I want to learn more about capital and Japanese Americana and Japanese fashion and she was kind and she gave me the spiel and I took her contact and for a year and a half this podcast episode has been incubating and now i finally had the opportunity to speak with her she's such a cool person she has so much deep and rich kind of history and and it's just really cool to be able to talk to people like Arya mizuhara so without further ado make sure to give us a five-star review wow i should always use that as the outro without further ado make sure to give us a five-star review on apple or spotify if this is your second time listening (laughs) all right i'm gonna stop all the jibber jabber you know what to do let's get to the live episode it never ceases to amaze me how random interactions can turn into meaningful connections that is how i would describe my relationship with today's guest aria mizuhara even though i don't know her that well i guarantee at the conclusion of this episode we're gonna have a meaningful connection aria how are you doing today
1: hi drew thank you so much for having me i'm doing so good Tuning in from tokyo it's 10 a.m over here what time is over Mm. there Colorado. right
0: now in denver it's 6 p.m so it's completely dark i'm like have artificial lighting just smacking me in the face but we we're doing good japan is probably pretty good right now too huh
1: <laughs> yeah right now it's raining so much and it's foggy so i also have artificial lighting smacking me Mm,
0: mm, mm. so the way we met each other which is the reason why i i intro'd you the way i did is because in 2021 um I took a trip to San Francisco with my girlfriend, not fashion-orientated, nothing to do with, like, you know, capital or Japanese clothing or anything like, like that. Um, we went because my girlfriend is Swiss, and she needed to get her Swiss passport renewed. And there's, like, two, like, Swiss consulate things, you know, like, international things. One is in San Francisco and one's in New York. So we went to San Francisco because it's closer to Colorado. And we happened... We happened to walk into Cotton Sheep SF and you were there. I think the store just opened up. And as you, as we were talking about before the, you know, before we started recording, you were like, I walked in and I was like, so oh, yeah. tell me the history of your store. And I was kind of like goofy, nerdy about it. Like, that's how we yeah, met so each other.
1: Drew, Drew popped in and then he was like. The first thing he said to me was like, so give me the rundown of your entire story. And I was like, bro, like, I'm literally not ready to give you like this, like 20 years worth of history right now. Um, <laughs> and then after that, I was like, uh, I don't know about that. But then we got in contact with each other. And then we we're like, oh, maybe mm-hmm. we can do a podcast. And then it's been a little while now. And here we are finally getting to yeah. that story. So
0: absolutely. Exactly. And that's how I say hello to people. If you ever see me on the street. I just I just pop you know tell what is your what is your life story what are you about and that's just kind of how I go about my day to day (laughs) I'm just kidding that's not that is not how I go but Ari I'm glad to have you here on the on the show I'm glad that we had the opportunity to connect I obviously have been following along since 2021 with kind of the art that you've been creating I'm a big fan of Cotton Sheep and I thought it would be amazing and fun to have you on the show so let's let's peel back the layers a little bit start with your life your childhood talk to me about how it was like for you growing up as a kid and where you grew up as a kid
1: okay so i was born in japan raised in san francisco born in 1997 i very much a bay girl but currently residing in tokyo um so i really would be nothing 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 without my parents like i feel like i'm not even a person like i'm just a continuation of what my mm. parents worked for they both grew up, background on my parents, they they grew up with nothing. Uh, my dad is from, the, uh, from California, my mom is from Japan, and they wow. really um, came from really difficult, um, you know, financially hard backgrounds, and so they did everything on their own. And uh, my parents were originally, um, they were vintage pickers in the States. So that's kind of like, I would say the beginning of this entire story is that Their whole job was um, going around America, getting vintage Levi's, Nike's, all of that, and then shipping it to Japan back in the 90s when Mm. Japan had like a huge vintage boom. So my mom is from Osaka. So back in the day in Osaka, there was this huge um, kind of like boom of boom as in like trend, right, of um, American vintage stores. And it's still popular here, but not the way that it was back in the day. Um, So we had all these friends that had these stores and we shipped containers, loads of uh, vintage clothes from the States back to Japan. And that was kind of like the beginning. I wasn't born yet, but that was kind of like the beginning of this kind of um, entrepreneurial situation with my whole family um, in fashion and music and all that. After that, um, my dad had a record store in San Francisco for a little bit called BPM super influential to me we we can definitely get back into that later but um in the beginning of the kind of iTunes era in San Francisco because this was back in San Francisco in the early 2000s right and the late 90s um the record store was specifically catered for um DJs who kind of were like doing a lot of underground like, electronic music back, back in the day, um, a lot of like house and um, just a lot of more like, low-key underground music for DJs specifically. So it was one yeah. of the first kind of genres of music to be digitalized and people to get really excited about being able to buy all of those tracks online and streaming and all of that. Um, yeah. So we were like, okay, we need to rethink what our family business is going to be to support this family of four. Um, that's when my mom was like, you know what, we're going to go back to fashion, but this time I'm going to go grab stuff in Japan and then sell it in the States. So we're kind of doing the opposite of what we were doing. And, um, by the way, the record was also importing. My dad was importing a lot of music from like the UK underground scene and like Detroit, um, a lot of, cause they were like into that rave shit, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) So that was kind of the spiel. And then Cotton Sheep, we opened it in 2004. Uh, I was six years old. And um, I think I'm kind of going ahead in one of the questions that you're probably going to ask me, but how was I involved at that time? Um, I actually named the business when I was six and made the logo.
0: No way. That's crazy.
1: Yes. So my mom put full trust in me as a six-year-old to be like branding everything, I guess. Right. I think Cottage Sheep sounds very much like what a six year old would name a business, one. And, <laughs> and two, um, my mom is kind of like going for this organic vibe because in San Francisco at the time, her whole purpose of starting this business was that she has a really, um, because she's Japanese and has worked in fashion and stuff, she has a very um, sharp taste for like high quality natural materials. And she was, having a hard time buying clothes for me and for herself in the States that she felt were up to her standards of like how nice they felt. And you know, I was a really picky kid. I wanted my stuff to be like all cotton, like no tags. So she was like, this kid's impossible. I'm just gonna have to get all her stuff in Japan. Um, and then I think from that concept of just, we really like like nice natural materials, um, mm-hmm. cotton, sheep, no logic, cotton, sheep.
0: No, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think even though you kind of just dissed yourself a little bit, oh, it sounds like a six-year-old, name this. Um, when when you hear that explanation, it makes a lot of sense. Like w- like a lot of people enjoy those natural fibers. And like something that comes from sheep, something that's cotton, is really nice to the touch. So, and it has like this like inviting kind of like almost nonsensical, but inviting name to it. Like it's cotton sheep, you know what I'm saying? Like it's oh, just, it's, it's very...
1: Yeah, it's so Japanese, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, there's so much that you just told there that I want to unpack. First, 1997, that's also the year I was born in. That is a goaded year, absolutely. Um, And, you know, listening to you kind of unpack the story of your parents, how you're kind of this next generation, this extension of them is, like, really, really powerful. So at six years old, you named Cotton Sheep, and so like for you, like your childhood, how much of it was being in the store, being involved, like meeting customers, being there, like hearing stories, yeah. hearing from your mom. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, so actually before I was uh, posted up at Cotton Sheep, I was posted up at BPM and I have such fond memories. Like there's pictures of me like in a kimono, wearing Cheetos, like next to these records, like just living the best life ever. Um, I have really fond memories of like, I was a dancer as a kid so I still like dance around a lot but like I I was like a hardcore like into ballet and like training and stuff so I've always kind of been creative like in the mix of all of these different things. Um, I remember very distinctly that I would choreograph little dances for like my dad's DJ friends and I'm pretty sure like they're like pretty good DJs you know local like little local legends or whatever and like they would always pull up and I'm like butthouse I have a dance for you and like I would like pull out some kind of weird contemporary dance specifically that I would choreograph for particular DJs that I liked and I was probably like four or five at the time so I do have like fun memories like that where I was probably hanging out with like way cooler people than I realized and like just doing stupid shit um and then in Cotton Sheep I had a love-hate relationship with Cotton Sheep for a long long time until I really came into my role there and came into my like story and really realized the, the power of this entire uh, situation with my family. But for like several years when I was a teenager, I was that rebellious teenager who had a stank face on standing at the shop, didn't wanna be there, like hella blazed, like not being productive at all. And like my mom just being like, girl, like you better work. <laughs> like, and then me just being like super faded and being like super unhelpful to the customers. Um, that was a lot of my teenage years. And then I think I really like stepped up to my role when COVID hit and my mom was kind of all on her own Z's. And at the time I was kind of like, bye Sheep, like peace for, for a bit. And then COVID hit and then I, I like rushed back and I was like, you know, it was like all hands on deck. I was with my fam for entire time uh two years or whatever um we were really like in it together and I think at that point my um my relationship with the business realized when when it's something that's like so obvious that it's like secure I feel like I was taking it for granted like oh this business is fine I'll always be there but then when it came to a point where okay my mom is of a generation that's really bad at technology and Marketing, and I'm not that great at it either, but I'm a little bit better than my mom, (laughs) you know, Uh, totally lost with that kind of stuff. So when she was faced with the challenges of having a, a closed store at the time, she didn't have a website, like everything is really old school at Cotton Sheep, or it was, it still is, but it was even more. And so I really came in and learned all of the via like YouTube and stuff. I learned like a lot of the different kind of technological tools that modern day businesses should be utilizing especially during a time during the pandemic when we when we can't rely on face-to-face interactions and uh just to give a background for all of those people who might not know con sheep it's like face-to-face interactions is the entire business it's a boutique right it's not an online business we have a very minimal website with just accessories but all of the clothes is still online or through like DM or text messages with our customers. And all of wow. those are personal. We hug all of our customers. We know all of them by their first name. They give us gifts on Christmas and stuff. Like it's a very personal business. So to have to figure out how to translate that into a more pandemic friendly business model was um, very much a challenge for the entire family. But that's where, really where I was able to see how um, I could really help the family in a time of need and I felt really useful and like like oh wow this is my time to be that good daughter like (laughs) like, this is my time to shine for my Asian mom um (laughs) so that's kind of how that whole thing was yeah you
0: mentioned as a teenager that you you know had your bit of rebelliousness you had a bit of a rebellious spirit inside of you do you think that comes from the fact that, you know, you were just coming of age, like you were just a kid trying to figure it out for yourself or was there something more at play in terms of kind of coming into your own and realizing maybe cotton sheep or maybe the store isn't what I want to do or, you know, I'm beyond my family or like kind of like talk to me like about the mental kind of warfare or not even that's kind of that's kind of dramatic, but like the right, mental right, kind the, of the teenage. Yes. End. I I was
1: such an angsty teenager, right? Like, I think I'm still an angsty teenager, but a little bit more, hopefully a little bit more balanced now. But back in the day, I was like anti-fashion. So now I have found my place in the fashion industry where I feel like I can just wear the clothes that I like. It's a lot of really chill, casual. It's like a little bit on the organic streetwear, like casual, artsy, like, I don't know, kind of skatery like fabric-y, I don't know. There's a little niche that I feel really comfortable where I don't feel like I have to compete, where I can just be myself, where I feel like I have enough people that relate with me in terms of like taste-wise that I feel like, okay, this is a cool little niche to be in, but I don't really feel like I need to further myself in the fashion industry and be like the hottest person on the block, like going on this runway, whatever. So like for the longest time, when I was first entering... Or like kind of forced to work in fact not forced obviously it's a family business we're Asian like that's what we do, um, um so when I was first like kind of following in in my my family's footsteps and kind of learning the ropes and stuff, um I was very anti fashion because I was under the impression that fashion was fake it's bad for the environment people are just only obsessed with image and um very like confident.
0: very egotistical right
1: exactly like I didn't really. Mm. Uh, see the positive parts of fashion yet I, I had I could only see like oh my god this is going to be like a scary career you know like do I really want this career people are so competitive devils wear Prada cutthroat like um and then what I realized while I was working in it is that fashion is especially now in this day and age where we have probably because of Instagram we have so many like sub niches and um little pockets of fashion where I can still kind of not have to deal with those things that I feel are kind of stressful or maybe not the right environment for me but I can still sell clothes and connect with customers and get excited about cool garments and stuff like that
0: definitely yeah I love that and that's kind of the way like very similar for myself like for me I started getting into sneakers specifically I played basketball and like I always liked and was interested in what other players were wearing in terms of like their footwear and that kind of transitioned into like what I was wearing just from a lifestyle standpoint. But I think that like my interpretation of fashion as a teenager, as a young adult was like these very pretentious individuals who only cared about maybe the price of a garment or maybe only cared about like what that garment meant for the status of hype or awareness to that piece. And that never really appealed to me, right? And so I think for a lot of people, I think a lot of people probably have that same kind of feeling where there's this very kind of egotistical nature to fashion. But once you start to look behind the curtain at, you know, family run businesses like cotton sheep, individuals like your family, and and hopefully people think that about me, and they see that there's a lot of stories that go behind the clothing, and that's what makes it so beautiful, right? So can you tell us, for those who don't know, people are probably listening. This is like, we're like 15, 17 minutes in. Give us another rundown of like what cotton sheep is. Because I think some people might not understand like just, like, what it is if yeah. it was, like, an elevator pitch version. Right. Of it, like, yeah.
1: We just described my whole ass life story and, like, did not describe the story at all. So, basically, Cotton Sheep opened in 2004. And my mom was the first Ako. She's a bad bitch, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was the first person to bring capital outside of Japan. And at the time, in 2006, when she asked capital, what um, – or she asked, can I bring this brand to my store in San Francisco? And Capital was like, it's not going to sell. Like, this is not going to, this is not for the American market, da, 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 da. So she, like, aggressively pursued them, like, three times. Finally, they said yes. And then 2006, she started pushing Capital in San Francisco. At first, it was super hard to sell. People were like, what is this? Um, But little by little, like, really artsy and creative customers were kind of intrigued by how unique and funky the designers kind of, perspective and um you know style is so a little by little we started to kind of be able to catch customers and then at this point it's been what it's 2023 now so it's been a minute now and it's uh, the store is like kind of it's coasting you know what i mean like we're not trying to expand it's a boutique it's a family-run boutique we have a couple staff who are like fam to us shout out marco sochi um, those are like my mom's new kids, um, who hold it down for her with all of the tech stuff. <laughs> um, and then also, my brother was involved as the buyer for a really long time, and he still pops up here and there. Um, goes and says, you know, says hi. And my dad, he even sometimes when we're short on staff and we, you know, it's Christmas season, we need an extra hand. My dad will pop in. Too, he's not really about that life, but he will pop in. Um. So it's a, you know, and like we've had like a lot of our staff, you know, they're like, they become family to us. Um, It's a really intimate and sometimes chaotic environment. It's not perfect. We have our um, issues. But the thing that really, I think, sets us apart and keeps customers loyal to us is that we're really um, not budging about trying to turn into a big corporate like B2B or whatever. they What is it? b2b yeah B2B. b2b like large you know uh venture capital funded big operation we really don't care about that at all um we're happy to be you know be able to maintain this current lifestyle that we're afforded just with um just having one business and we really put yeah. all of our heart into that particular local community and we love our customers we love our neighborhood Hayes valley it's like a little um Shopping district, like little merchants um, stores all along two blocks or three blocks, and it's got a very mm-hmm. local kind of cozy village vibe. Um, oh, the style—it's Japanese Americana, so it's very influenced from those vintage days. So it's a lot of like um, kind of denim, what kind of westerny at the same time streetwear, whimsical, a lot mm-hmm. of like Native American influence. Um,
0: if you know capital, I mean, it's just, it's kind of that, you know, nuance and brand imagery all over the place when you go into Cotton Sheep. And, you know, it's so interesting, you know, when you hear that your mom, like your business, your family's business is, you know, the first, you said, you said your words, the first to bring capital to the to US. It's like the birthplace for capital. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of Japan, here in the US, which is amazing. Like... I mean, you say that, you know, so casually, but like for me as someone and for us living in 2022, 2023, like, um, you know, capital is obviously a much more prominent brand than it was from what my understanding back in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2010, whatever it may be. The Internet has obviously had something to do with that and individuals like myself and others talking about it and, and just the expansion of globalization. But like, it's amazing. Like, how did your mom build those relationships like where did those relationships come from that's that's where I that's what I want to know
1: <laughs> my mom stumbled upon capital just intuitively so my whole family this the one thing that i think that really has been a um
0: what you call it
1: uh what you call it i love that a strong like thread that goes through all of the things that i've mentioned about the records the vintage my personal art car like something that goes through all of it is that we're the type of family that we really don't go into things with like a business plan. We really like have an intuitive hunch and we're like, this is hot. And then we just go for it. And like, we don't pay attention to trends. We don't research. We're like the type of family that's like, we're not going to pay attention. That's too much stress. We would rather spend our energy just really developing our uh, taste and kind of intuitive decision uh, making skills about you know taste and aesthetic and stuff like that so I think my mom she just had a hunch and she followed it and she did that with the vintage days and that's how we have a house in San Francisco by the way the vintage thing was extremely lucrative it was only a few years but they were like gypsies in um, the U.S. going around and living in a van and my brother was born at this time he was like he was a trooper he had a video game in the like PlayStation or whatever. Game Boy in the car and just like waited in this van all day long for like two years. <laughs> so he was, like, he was a trooper. <laughs> Shout out my brother. Um, Shout out. But I think my parents like my family were like really uh alternative. My whole family, everyone. By the way, my brother's mm. an architect now. And he um oh, amazing. He used to work at Cotton shape And anyways, um <laughs> so <laughs> you know, we don't really um go into these things with like trying to build connections or trying to research this niche. It's just like, we're just, we're living wild and free going to festivals, doing these crazy like hustles. And then these things just happen upon us.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's really cool. It's, I love the fact that you said it's intuitive and I think in a world today that is so like data driven, you, you kind of lose out on that a lot, right? Like, Um, I always pull it back to sports because that's just my background. And I think one of the like most interesting examples in film was this movie Moneyball, where it's this baseball team that, you know, hires this coach who essentially, yeah, 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 exactly. They essentially look at the numbers and they're like, Oh, if we play this guy, then it's going to be this way. And I think that the world is, you know, moving more towards that like very number based and sports is different. Obviously like it's, it's a different thing than fashion, but like, people oftentimes and this is a reminder if you're listening like be aware of your surroundings live your life to the fullest and make sure that you know what you perceive around you take it in because you never know when you stumble upon a capital esque brand in your city or some other creative or someone doing something dope in your area but you're so fixated on the numerical value of what x y and z brand can bring to you that you just miss out on that completely right so
1: um I love to touch on that because oh, the connection um, I mentioned earlier, the first two years, the capital was really my mom said it was really hard to sell, but she was so uh, resistant to let go of it, even though the numbers weren't there for two whole years. She was like, I don't care. I know in my gut, this is a strong brand that and it was just the beginning of the brand. Right. So she really saw the potential of this designer and knew okay, he's going to pop off. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm, I'm like an early uh, adopter or whatever. And she rode out like several years of people just not being able to catch on as fast. Once it caught on though, she was like, bitch, I knew it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you, your personality is awesome too, by the way. I feel like you. there are some people who are so them- and that's like one of the highest compliments I can give. I feel like you are, you are, you are so you <laughs> like, you just don't really change for anybody. That's dope. <laughs> <You're, Thank laughs> just you. the way you describe that about your mom. That's awesome. <laughs> I
1: like, that. like she's, my mom is like so hardcore. Like she's so eccentric and she's so ab- uh, abnormal for a Japanese woman. And this podcast is now just going to end up being my mo- about my mom. But honestly, like before she was a picker, she had started, she was like, like, a stylist in Tokyo, like, my mom has never, like, worked for anyone, really, and she just has a really aggressive entrepreneurial spirit, and mm-hmm. I was, I'm not, I don't think naturally, I'm more of, like, I just want to make things in my room all day by myself, like, I'm not as aggressive or entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. but because I was blessed to come from such an alternative and uh, kind of, you un- like, this kind of family, my parents never pressured me to join a company or, like, pursue like a really traditional um, path, which is why uh, even though I didn't go to art school, I feel like this path of um, attempting to be an artist or like being an artist, like it's just been such a natural, um, natural kind of flow for, for my family or for, for me. And so I have to just thank my family. It's like, I don't know, I, I always every, like I literally have a picture of my family right here on my wall. I think about and this is the ship logo like I think about them and this whole legacy is kind of like what I feel like I'm just a, am just a medium that's just um, just continuing to whatchamacallit sorry I'm saying that again I love that (laughs) to like use myself as kind of a portal for this story you know and like my visual expression, whether it's in art, fashion, I also DJ too a little bit, but all of these things are all just continuations of what my parents had worked hard for, and they had a lot harder life than me. I got to enjoy the fruits of their labor growing up, but they didn't have those kinds of parents, um, so I just, yeah, I, I just want to shout shout out to them for, you know, for doing such a good job.
0: I love that. You gotta give credit where credit is due, right? And if your family is a big part of why you are the way you are, give them that love. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't. Your family isn't forever. For, I mean, your family is forever in terms of how long you live. But like, you never know. You know how much time you have to spend with the people you really care about. Everyone has been reminded of that, especially in 2020, especially in recent times. And so, I think it's beautiful that like you you giving so much credence and love to your family. I think a perfect segue to get into, you know, the art that you create, you mentioned it a little bit, walk us through kind of your creative journey and just like what you are currently working on as a artist creative.
1: Yes. So I would love to just let everyone know that I'm having an art show from December 9th through the 30th at Cotton Sheep SF in San Francisco this December. So that's literally in two weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna read you. Is it okay if I read you like the about rave era? My little like yeah. rotation or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of um, in terms of like the gallery space, we have like a little bit of like uh, we kind of made a DIY gallery in the back of Cotton Sheep. Um, so we'll be doing that again. Okay. About rave era, this series explores the spiritual experience of dance music culture emerging alongside music making take music-making technologies at the forefront of the digital revolution. The art pieces visualize beats, sound waves, musically-induced states of trance, cyberspace, and the 90s rave scene. Inspiration struck when I stumbled upon a booklet of mind-bending rave flyers from 90s San Francisco archived by SF print shop Copa Press. In contrast to my cyber-centric San Francisco upbringing, my choice of materials, traditional washi paper, dye, embroidery, thread, et cetera, is a reflection of my Japanese upbringing, valuing high-quality objects made slowly by hand, as well as a general fondness for analog beauty.
0: Mm. Mm. So you're synthesizing everything that comes with your upbringing, your life, your experiences, and you're creating physical manifestations of of your art form with that. At Cotton Sheep, obviously, you have it in December what does it like mean to you? Like, like, is this your f- first time doing something like this at Con or have you done this before? Or?
1: So I started creating artwork on canvas this year, and I had an art show in July. Uh, that was my first art show, and I sold out, which was a really um, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and the, the shits was not cheap either, and <laughs> um, and that was just a huge sign for me to explore this path more because I never really took art uh, seriously as a career uh, option for me until that kind of happened and just things have just been going in this direction and I'm like you know what like maybe this is something that is actually realistic um so I I actually already have like four or five pieces are like called dibs on out of 10 and I haven't even yeah I haven't even opened the show so I'm already like low-key half sold um half sold out which is crazy um and in terms of what does it mean to me at this point? I just feel like my life is starting to come together and things are starting to finally make sense because, uh, for the longest time I had so many interests that were like, okay, I love music. I love dancing. Right. Like most of my life I spent dancing. I'm really obsessed with movement. Um, You can catch me dancing on my IG story all the time. Um, I'm
0: checking right now. Is (laughs) is there anything right now? (laughs) No,
1: not right now. But like, I love dancing, um, which is why I started DJing. Obviously, my dad's uh, job, you know, had a lot to do with it. Um, Mm, mm. And then in terms of... um, I totally forgot what I was talking about. What was I saying? Oh, so I had all of these interests that were all so far apart. It felt like, you know, I I have one foot in fashion and I love making things and I do embroidery and this and that. Um, This is the first year in my life where everything is merging in like a really clean and coherent way where I can be like, all right, here's one package. Here's everything you need to know about my life history. Um, And I'm really starting to see that once again, fashion, yeah. music and art are so heavily intertwined. And it's really possible to in this day and age with kind of Instagram and like the kind of new ways of working to really have a foot in multiple industries and kind of be able to continue to tie them together in your own style.
0: Definitely. And I think because you're born in 1997. Are you 25 years old, if you don't want me asking?
1: Yes, I'm 25. 25.
0: And so like, I think it's so important this notion this idea of like figuring it out like I feel like a lot of people have it twisted right they think that they have to have it figured out by age 18 or 19 or 20 or 22 but for you to say that you are feeling that this last year these last moments in your life are what's the most smoothest for you in 20 at 24 25 like I feel the exact same way and I think it's such an important thing for people to understand that life is, you know, a long journey. It's, it's long but short at the same time, right? That's the way it feels. Like I, as a 25 year old, I feel like just yesterday, yesterday I was 15. Yeah. But then again, like if I think about it every day has its ups, has its downs, it feels long, it feels slow. And so, especially as a creative, if you're a creative individual and like you're trying to figure it out for yourself, you know, I think it's better to take the long game approach. Don't rush yourself yourself. And also understand that, you know, you have all of your life, the opportunity of your life to figure out what you want to do. And once you figure it out, like you have for yourself, latch onto it. And if it changes in six months, latch on to that. It's OK. You know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like people get so caught up in this idea of, oh, I need to be doing this here, there and now. And it's, you know, hearing you say what you just said about like being 24, being 25 and it being the most smooth year is like. I know someone's listening right now and they're like and they're 17 and they're 16. And you're like, oh, I need to figure it out. And hearing you, I, hopefully they know that, you know, it's you can rest easy as a, as a creative, as a, as a person in the world. Like you can figure your shit out.
1: Yeah, I would also like to say for any of those seven, 18 year olds or whatever, per, maybe pursuing art or something creative, I fumbled, I fumbled, fumbled, fumbled for like 10 years. And like things that I thought were seemingly unrelated are all coming back together. So random skills that I picked up when I was super into this, like maybe I was super into graphic design, you know, or, you know, I was super into Whatever, like, there's, like, these little skills that I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a graphic designer. Okay, no, I didn't end up being a graphic designer, but being able to use Adobe Illustrator and that several weeks that I got really into just learning how to basically do anything I want, Adobe Illustrator, time and time again, it comes up super helpful when I'm making flyers for my art show or when I'm making some business thing for cotton sheep, you know? Like, it's always... These little skills that you pick up for whatever hunches that you may have, even if you don't end up pursuing it as an end goal in this kind of like day and age where everyone has to be able to do everything, every skill becomes a plus and every skill somehow ends up being connected to your overall journey. I love
0: that. I love that. I love that. I love that. That's facts. That's that's just straight up facts right there, boy. Yeah, Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that. Um, is there anything else that I'm missing when it comes to cotton sheep or when it comes to your creativity? I would um, love. I don't to. want to.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go I would love to talk about my art process a little bit if that's okay.
0: Yeah, please. I would love to hear.
1: So recently, as of this year, um, I've been really into washi paper. So I had the opportunity to go make traditional washi paper. Um, What's really cool about washi paper is that it's kind of like this pulpous fibrous material that has really similar properties to more like fabric than paper. So all of the fibers are bind together. It has such a unique uh, texture and different uh, kind of um, thicknesses and stuff that it really does feel like you're working with kind of a version of fabric. That has been kind of the main, um, one of the main materials that I've used in this current art series that I'll be exhibiting in December. Um, I'm using a lot of traditional materials such as washi paper or like small glass beads, embroidery thread and dye. So I actually dye washi paper with like traditional dyes. Um, I'm using all of these materials because even though the topic is kind of this cybery you know it's rave it's cybery modern uh, you know club vibe like that's kind of the concept and the energy behind it but the actual aesthetic and the kind of way that it came out is has a little bit more of like this traditional um and like serene vibe for a lot of the pieces and um I think that I'm coming to a point where I'm really starting to have fun experimenting with those different energies where I'm kind of um, surrounded by these really beautiful traditional Japanese kind of old style things. And then fusing that with my 25 year old, grew up in San Francisco in a really moderate environment, you know, on IG, on the Internet and trying to kind of fuse them together so that I think as a generation. Of young people who are really addicted to our phones, we can continue to respect all of all of these like traditional um, crafts that that people have been doing for thousands of years. Because tri- uh, absolutely, washi paper, washi paper is like literally like thousands and thousands of years old of a tradition, right? So,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm looking at some of the pieces right now. Like this beats per minute when you posted. I feel like not too long ago, I totally get your description of like you're you're fusing all these elements and like it has it has the elements of like you know kind of funky dance core but like when you look at it it also has this very cohesive feel to it how long does it usually take you to finish a piece like how how, how much time does it usually take you
1: so it's really hard to count the time of a piece because it starts with the initial concept right and for mm-hmm. an art series mm-hmm. it's a little different than like patchwork which are- which is another thing that I do with the art series. A lot of the incubation period is just like slapping my head, like over and over (laughs) and trying to get ideas out. Um, (laughs) There's a long incubation period. And then once I start rolling, it's quite fast. And then, but everything is done in parts. So I'm dying all of the paper on one day. And then, you know, I'm poking, I'm designing the embroidery grid layouts or I'm, I'm sewing in like, all of them at the same time in one week. So I kind of go through different um, layers of the steps, and a lot of them they're all multi-process. Because once you you know dye the washi paper or whatever you use, yeah. kind of like traditional starch paste to put it onto the canvas, and then let that dry for two days, and then etc.
0: Yeah, amazing. It's it's so cool that you know you're coming into your own as a creative and as an artist. And it's amazing that you get to also display your work at Cotton Sheep. Um, What were the dates one more time so people can be reminded?
1: December 9th through December 30th. And it'll be open during the shop hours. So it's going to be like holiday season. It's going to be popping. Also, (laughs) I'm trying to DJ in San Francisco um, when I'm back for like a reception or after party or whatever. So
0: we'll,
1: we'll see about that.
0: For sure, for sure, and and if you are someone who like, you know, you like to support small businesses, individual creatives, I think Aria is a perfect prime example of someone to support. Because, I mean, I, I, the corporations already got the money. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need to spread the will. So let's let's you know support our local artists and whatnot. Um, I think this is a good perfect transition to kind of talk about just a little bit more about you, like your time. And Tokyo or are you in Tokyo? Is that correct? Yeah.
1: I'm in Tokyo right now and then yeah, one day, I'll be headed to the Bay. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. So you're in Tokyo. I just wanted to make sure because you mentioned your mom is from Osaka, right? Is that what you said? Right.
1: So my family's from Yeah, Osaka. perfect. Yes.
0: Yeah, okay, cool, 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 cool. So I'm curious, you know, as someone who's in the States who's done a little bit of traveling and would love to potentially one day travel to Tokyo, can you give us a little bit of insight into what you perceive is Tokyo and and how you feel about it um, to someone who just doesn't know that much about it.
1: So Tokyo is a big ass urban jungle that runs efficiently, smoothly, safely, clean and nocturnal. So, One of the questions that Drew had prepared me with was like, what is the pulse of Tokyo or something like that, right? And how does it compare to SF? So I think one of the first things that people from the States will notice about Tokyo is one, how clean and safe everything is and how on time everything, all the trains run, how efficient and everything works just so well, right? So there's like vending machines everywhere. Like you can send your suitcase from the convenience store, which there's like one every block, open 24 hours. You can get food at any time. You'll never go hungry as long as you have like five bucks. Um, It's very efficient. At the same time, it's very nocturnal. So the regular going out in Tokyo, like lifestyle, your schedule, a very average Japanese young person's kind of night out schedule. All right. Friday night, they get off work from eight or nine p.m., till midnight, they'll be at Izakaya with their friends. Izakaya is a place that's kind of like little tapas and drinking. And the drinks are also relatively light. It's like beer or lemon sour, which is like lemon juice with, uh, lemon soda with shochu. So you're kind of drinking all night, talking, smoking cigarettes and eating these little tapas. That's like very standard Izakaya, right? After that, that's when the, the round two happens so the clubs and like bars they don't really get popping until about midnight or 1 a.m and then that until 5 a.m sometimes 6 7 8 a.m so it's very common for people to uh, be out until the sun rises I see the sunrise all the time when I'm here which I never see in um, San Francisco because everything starts way earlier and closes earlier and mm. stuff mm um but in japan the the trains don't run from about 12 30 to 5 in the morning so you have to either make a decision go home for the night after the izakaya before midnight or like around midnight or stay out Mm. till five if you want to take the train home yeah
0: Mm, that makes a lot of sense okay because i was wondering i was like the trains don't run what do you guys how do you how do you get back but you have to make that commitment right that's so interesting
1: right so cool And from a safety standpoint it's not that hard to stay out till five because everybody's out right it's very average
0: right 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 and i mean tokyo just seems like one of like of the cities of the world like you mentioned london you mentioned new york you can mention paris at some point you got to mention tokyo right it's just one of those places that has this kind of magical allure to it from an outsider's standpoint and hopefully one day i get an opportunity to go Obviously, your perspective is of someone who's a resident, someone who lives there, but like outside looking in again, like what is something that everyone should at least attempt to do or should look to do while we're while they're in Tokyo? I know now it's open back up. People are going to be flooding back. But yeah, like what, what should we do?
1: So people have started to come back at an alarming speed in a really good way, though. Like, it's been popping off since ever since mid-October. Like, I've literally probably met more people from America or, like, around the world in this past month here than, like, I would ever meet just being an SF because Tokyo is a global hub. And so if you're, like, you know, if you live in a regular city in America, you'll probably meet less, like less people from America like different parts of America than if you lived in Tokyo people really conglomerate here so I meet people from LA and like New York and stuff like that way more in Tokyo than I'll ever meet in the states unless I actually go to LA and New York Um,
0: Denver is kind of like that too you don't really meet a lot of people here it's exactly what you're talking about
1: (laughs) right exactly so I'll probably meet more people from Denver in Tokyo right so um, it's definitely a global hub spot. So in terms of connections, I think that uh, if you're pursuing um, like the kind of line of work that me and Drew are pursuing, is a great place for those kind of uh, creative connections. At the same time, though, people meet so many people. There's so many people, millions, millions, millions people. I don't even know the population, but it's crazy that these connections are taken for granted and it doesn't have as much of like San Francisco, I feel a little bit more of a local community vibe, where mm-hmm. once you meet someone, it's like, okay, we homies, like we're gonna say what's up, we're, we're gonna actually probably bump into each other on the street, like it's much smaller, compared to in Tokyo, there's just it's, it's a huge city, right? So people are really just concerned for themselves. And if you're lucky enough to find a little community, which I'm lucky enough to have found, then it can feel really like cozy. And like, you know you, you know, you have that dream city life where you have those people that you get to see every day. And what's really lovely about where I live, Shimokitazawa, is that it's kind of like this kind of hippie um, kind of town. Uh, within Tokyo, so there's like Shibuya, big shopping and party district, Shinjuku, big shopping party district. Shimokitazawa is like the low key little like hippie stoner like surfside vibe, like little sibling that's just like in the corner and like just a lot of little vintage stores, a lot of college kids and like random musicians with their guitars busking on the street. You'll see like random palm reader like old men just like reading people's palms like on the street. It's very, it's got a very, like, Hey Ashbury vibe for Tokyo. Um, And for me, like... That's where i live so i get to see a lot of the same faces like several times a week even just in passing or maybe we're going to our favorite like little spots little hangout spots
0: right um, so there's little pockets that have that community aspect even though tokyo is this kind of mega city that has so many different different like regions that conglomerate into this just massive place which is cool also you know this is probably like a dumb question but like i'm gonna ask it anyways. So. You, you're fluent in Japanese, too, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. So you was that something that, like, your mom and, like, you had, like, in your back pocket all your life? Or, like, have you gotten better over time? Or, like, that's just, like, me being curious.
1: Yeah, so I was born in Japan and then lived here till I was three and my brother was nine. So we have like a pretty good roots in Japan. And I forgot to mention a huge important detail of my life that shaped me. So my dad was very much involved with um, Fuji Rock Festival, which is um, Japan's basic, biggest music festival that started pretty much like 1997 or something. And because my dad was involved with it from the early days um, in terms uh, and all of our family friends were Um, responsible for kind of starting it so um, we went back every year in the summer to go to Fuji Rock Festival we had like staff fans and so I grew up in like just this super hippie festival community whenever I was in Japan like we had this really big strong community of people who came together every um every summer to celebrate music art nature vibes um so that was a huge, huge influence in my life, and that also um, kind of shaped, I think, a lot of my personality because I was um, exposed to, like, really weird Japanese people, like, not your average salary man, like, these are all people who are really just um, living that wavy gravy life, and um, (laughs) that was kind of the Japanese people I was around, so I spoke a lot of Japanese, and I was influenced greatly by their lifestyle and the way that they um, went about the world um and so i think yeah i yeah i I just grew up around a lot of japanese people through that just through the summers and then at my house we speak japanese too
0: very cool it makes a lot of sense i think for me like i always wanted there are two languages i always wanted to learn it was french and japanese just because i feel like they're both like they're very interesting to listen to as someone who's a you know anglophone english speaking person and like just being able to be also a you know a black person a black man and have those in your back pocket like it would be just crazy dope. But yeah. I'm kind of slacking on it right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, well, if you ever come to Tokyo, I got you. I can teach you a few words too. Um, it's Perfect. a hard language to learn, but um, yeah.
0: You know. Every I mean, there's plenty of people who learned it. So if one can do it, I know I can. But it just takes it takes work for sure. I've heard as a, like. As a,
1: I've heard watching anime helps.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do that a lot, so. <laughs> Last couple of questions here, Arya. It's been great to be able to kind of speak with you. And, you know, you are, um, you know, <laughs> it's funny. When, when I asked you to be on the show and we talked beforehand, you made it seem as though, like, um, like you would somehow struggle doing this episode. And, like, you have been, flying colors like A plus, like one of the best episodes that I've had and like your ability to kind of paint the picture of your story and the things that you're telling is is really, really good. So kudos to you. Um Thank you, Drew. Thank this you this is thank you. This is um a question kind of about like food again, like food culture you like kind of things you like. Um what are some of like your favorite things to eat? I, I initially I just said an S F because um, I feel like I can go to SF more often than Tokyo um, but like like what, what kind of spot what kind of spots are you going to when you get back to SF and then like what are the spots are you eating at in Tokyo like what kind of foods are you eating while you're there
1: well in SF I eat a lot of Mexican food because the Mexican food sucks here and I grew up on Mexican food and you know Mexican food is just, y'all know Um, So that's the one thing that's really missing in Japanese culture is that the Mexican food here is like way too light and not like not really done like properly. Like it's like diet Mexican food, which um, I heard about that. So I really, really eat that in SF. Can't stress that enough. In Tokyo, (laughs) Tokyo, everything is good, (laughs) cheap. Japanese people love high quality things. Right. So like even the crab is delicious. Um, I will eat pretty much anything in Japan and like enjoy it um a lot of the things that we eat here I love this is not even Japanese but I've been into like curry noodle which is like a Mm. Malaysian or like Thai curry noodle Chiang Mai curry noodle um Mm. it's not even Japanese but I eat it a lot here it's so good Chiang Mai curry noodle guys
0: yum I have to ask my girl about it because she she loves anything with noodles in it so maybe she knows i'm not familiar that sounds sounds like it should be good
1: <laughs> you probably look it up on youtube i feel like it's 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 a global phenomenon
0: perfect yeah i mean let me add it to my search bar right now
1: <laughs> cool. um can i ask you a question drew
0: yeah please what, feel what free. Were-
1: what was your impression when you first walked into cotton sheep and from the outside the inside and then after you left upon your trip
0: that was almost a year almost a year and a half ago now um and when I first walked in I think I think there was this kind of homey feel to it right like um you know at that time like for me my fashion knowledge my fashion world was expanding and I was getting becoming more interested in brands like capital and things of that nature and when I first walked in like a part of me felt like whoa like this is like this this stuff is actually really amazing the way it's presented in here is really amazing things I had never seen before like almost kid and candy excuse me I lost my voice almost kid in candy shop but like in a candy shop that like this isn't hershey's and m&ms you know what i'm saying like this is something that's of a different level and um it definitely stood out to me and getting a chance to talk to you definitely stood out as well obviously that's how our connection brewed but like yeah definitely something that you know left an imprint on me bar none so
1: i have another question sorry yeah of course becoming a reverse interview for this last. yeah
0: now it's your podcast now boy
1: (laughs) true do you have any advice or um just commentary about this world of social media obviously you're very successful at um, what you do with social media and uh YouTube and all of that you have um you know a following a significant following and I remember I think when I first started following you you weren't here yet so like I've seen your work grow and I've seen your following grow and I'm very my family is like so terrible at media stuff so if you have any words of advice or just you know something you want to share about that whole journey
0: of course yeah I think that there's there's this kind of prevailing thought that goes with social media that differentiates a business from an individual from an individual standpoint like as an artist as a creative for yourself aria I think that the best and this is for everyone listening too. I think that some of the best ways to grow an audience or grow your following on social media is really speak and try to allow your inner personality become outward expression. I think when you put a camera in front of your face, sometimes you try to posture and pose as someone who, who you think you should be on camera and how you think people should be but what in reality, you only really shine on camera when you are the truest version of yourself. And if you don't know yourself, then learn about yourself. And what that means is like, what kind of things do you like to say? How do you like to talk on camera? Like, what format are you about? Are you about like having B-roll and then you just voice it all over? Are you the energetic type where you like to talk and, you know, you're boom, 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 a lot of cuts and you're like dominating the camera? Or are you a more soft-spoken individual? Or like, do you like to show your art or whatever it may be? There's, there's a million and one ways to win on social media. Find the way for you and and live it and be it and be authentic to it. I think as a business, you know, speaking, if your family listens to this, if like your mom or your brother listens to this, there's a little bit of a different kind of cadence that you have to, you know, approach social media with. Um, I think my advice is that like, still be authentic, of course. But like, for a business, like sometimes it comes off as forced. And I, I, a lot of people can feel that and they hate that, right? Like when a business is trying to like jam down your throat, like, oh, you know, we have very eco-friendly things or we're blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And it just comes off unnatural. Like, I think you said to yourself, like it's a very, like cotton sheep is a very kind of communal, like you care about your customers and you, and you try to, you know, make it feel like a family environment. How can you make videos that feel also like a family environment? And like for me, like a simple idea that comes to mind is like, you know, there are. Sorry, there are camcorders like this, right? Like these are like home camcorder devices. Like imagine if you were able to film vertically with something like this instead of using your iPhone because it just gives that more home feel to it or whatever it may be. That's just an idea. And for the audience, I'm holding up my like Sony Handycam to Aria to like show her. And like, it has like a more pixelated image, like maybe try different cameras and maybe show different elements of, of, of like visual elements that are a bit more slower versus the fast paced, like social media, you know, iPhone, TikTok version of things play with things like that. And I think, I think it'll come off a bit more authentic, right? Authenticity is at the core of creating content. If you want to be successful, that's just how it goes. But yeah, that's, Thank you. That's my two cents and a a dime on it.
1: Thank you for the two cents and a dime. Um, I have. I'm sorry. I'm have one. Ask
0: away. This is
1: personal curiosity. Almost has nothing to do with. Actually, it has everything to do with everything. I lied. How do you? How do you? Okay, as somebody who, like I said, you're on these tools a lot, but I personally can tell. I feel like you have a strong relationship with being able to utilize those tools effectively and not getting sucked into it so much that you lose your focus, your focus in terms of path, but also like your day-to-day you know, focus, what I have to do, right? Mm, What are some of the tips? And this is, I think, something that our generation, we're all having to figure this stuff out because we're the first generation that has these extremely dopamine inducing, super powerful, addictive, intense technologies pervasive in our every single day lives at the same time we're trying to continue to learn how to sharpen our focus so we can go out for yeah. the things we want do you mm-hmm. have any two cents or maybe just your process or what you're working on for stuff like that
0: for focus specifically or for managing like being too obsessed with social media like I, i'm trying to understand your question properly oh. is it about focus both okay yeah oh. <laughs> what yeah yeah absolutely yeah, 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 for sure. I think that um, I think Aria. My truth is that if I wasn't what I if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now, I th- I don't think I would have social media. And I think that I solely look at social media as this tool. Like that's the way that's the way I can kind of in, in my mind focus on how I want to use social media in the way that I feel like is the best way the tool was intended. Because it's so easy to get into a lot of toxic um, kind of actions while scrolling on social media, whether it be comparison or whether it be self-doubt or whether it be all the things that come along with all the things we know, attention, you know, dope, like feeling like you need to be on it all the time. Um, And you are playing with fire the, the moment you kind of give your, Not life, but you know, you give your 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 time to these to these platforms, right? Like it's just is the way it is. Like there's at there at times I am sucked in and I'm I'm mindlessly scrolling or mindlessly doing the things. Like I'm not perfect. I try to focus as much as I can, but I still like you know spend probably too much time on social media, right? And it's just human nature, and it's difficult to do. Like there's a lot of ways to manage that. Um, so for me, like it's a balance. Like you have to be incredibly self aware about okay. Am I doing this the correct way mentally? Am I like looking at this from a mental health standpoint? Am I doing it the correct way? And if I'm not, like what do I, what are the steps I need to take? Because like for me, at this point in time, I'm in a good place where I can use it as a tool hundred percent. And like for someone else, it might be a total different battle that they're dealing with in terms of like how can I manage using and being on social media in a healthy way? Um, I think the second part of your question what was it again? Oh God, see, this is, okay. when you answer questions, you'd be, you be forgetting, boy. Yeah. But I think overall, overall, like social media is a, is a powerful tool. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity that comes with being on social media platforms, but, you know, being 25, being an adult, like I also see, you know, and feel like maybe sometimes I contribute to the, you know, the negative aspects of it. And I, I try to, you know, come, come at things that are very wholesome in a very wholesome way Um, but I'm not perfect and I think all of us are trying to figure out how to be the best versions of ourselves in tandem with technology and social media and whatnot so
1: it's a hard it's a hard hard puzzle within my life and that's also one of the things that with my creative journey as an artist I want to continue to explore this topic because obviously it's a pervasive person pervasive question and whether you work mm. in art fashion or music the the or whatever you know whatever both of us what we're doing that's how yeah. we're connected right now right and that's that's going to be if, that's going to be an important aspect of any creative person's um journey and I feel like it's one of the hardest you know um unless you're Drew winner and you just you just got it
0: no, oh. no, 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 no. It's tough. <laughs> I've had many, I've had many, many valleys. I've had many ups and downs. So we all, we all go through it. Even the best of us go through it. And you just got to figure it out day by day, moment by moment. So <laughs> cool. right. I love those questions, by the way. I love when, if you have questions, like I love when people have questions. That means they're engaged. Like that means they care about this. So I appreciate yeah. it. I'm um, so
1: interested in, um, you know, just young people and young people who are my age uh, with an entrepreneurial journey because it's not set in stone and it's very mm. chaotic and f- confusing when there's no path laid out in front of us. And for both of us, we're the same age and we're both choosing to go on paths that have very little, uh, you know, handrails. So Mm -hmm. it's a it's interesting to hear what kind of things you've picked up, you know.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate your curiosity in that respect. The last question I want to ask you, Aria, final question of the podcast. You've been great, like I said before. Above all else, what do you want people to know about you as an artist?
1: I would like people to know that I'm here, I think, on earth to be kind of a medium. My body is a medium to express human expression, you know, my soul, my spirit. And um, what I'm doing with kind of continuing my family's legacy, I think that's all part of it is that what my parents were doing is that they've been following their soul for a very long time, right? And that's kind of what intuitive decision making is, is that we're listening to our spirit, our inner guidance, not the the media of the world that's telling us what we should like and what we should be interested Mm. in, but really, really experiencing life and really, really allowing ourselves to feel and have our, our soul kind of being a compass. And I think that's hard because, because we do have so much stimulation and uh, outside noise in today's world. But for me, um, I always try to make sure that my creations and whatever i pursue in my creative path is an expression of what's going on deep down inside and being able to listen to that being able to tune everything else out being able to listen to that and then using different mediums and uh, materials to express that soul
0: i love that powerful i love that that's so so powerful all right mizuhara thanks so much for coming on the show it was great to have you
1: drew thank you so much you're awesome keep doing what you do this was my first pod, my first podcast. So killed the
0: thing. You killed the thing. It was easy.
1: <laughs> I like. I was just talking to the homie about life. Hey.
0: About life. That's what it's about. <laughs>